Good morning. How is everyone? You guys doing well? How many of you know that um, Thursday is not just the day before Black Friday? Um, I want to encourage all of you, and as Jessica put on the sign this week, you know, uh, beat the holiday rush and start thanking God now. And um, Thursday is Thanksgiving. It's a day of Thanksgiving. Paul, in his letter to the Romans in the first chapter, says this. Talks about people who are debased in their mind and their thinking is wrong. It's because they do not acknowledge God as God and give him thanks. So this should be a holy day for us, Thursday. And so, yeah, I want to encourage the men of this church... I know very few of you have days off in the middle of the week and you might want to sleep in. First thing on Thursday, 6.30 in the morning, come with us. It, we usually pray for each other, but this, this week is just going to be prayers of thanksgiving. And just like Mike said, we have so much to be thankful for. We are thankful for all the things that God has given us, and we are thankful for the things that God has not given us. Sound good? So how many of you, we are in the book of Matthew, if you didn't know that, if you're new here, we are reading the Bible together in a five-year plan, basically. And so we read the Bible together, particular books, and we're in Matthew. And this week we read uh, chapters 8 through 12 of Matthew, and um, I'm so excited that I get to get to talk about this today. But before we do it, I thought I'd show you a map. <laughs> and I like this map because it's pretty um, generic. It doesn't have all the, you know, borders and different colors and stuff. But chapters 8 through 12, this is right after the... Sermon on the Mount. And so he, his ministry in chapters 8 through 12 are up here in Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee. He actually, going through the towns here and in going into their synagogue. So right here you have Capernaum. There's another town right up here called Chorazin that's mentioned. Bethsaida is up here at the top. This is the area in which Jesus does his ministry from what we read in Matthews 8 through 12. Okay? So, the way Matthew does his um, listing of Jesus' life are just small little vignettes of stories. Matthew never pretends that they're all in chronological order. These are memories of his. Most of the time, he's an eyewitness to it. And this week, we actually had the call of Levi, the call of Matthew, where he was at, he's up there in, in Galilee at a, um, at a tax booth. And Jesus comes up and says, follow me. And he does. And he's so excited about it that he invites all of his friends to dinner to meet this Jesus. Alright? So, um, 
Let me give you a little Bible theology class, okay? The little vignettes, the little stories that Matthew tells. There's a word for that. It's called in a pericope. Say that with me, pericope. Okay, and so these are stories. All of them, every single one of them are designed to point you or point the reader. His idea is Jewish readers that Jesus is God. He is Messiah. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And he's telling us eyewitness accounts of what he saw happen. Okay, so I've taken six of these stories. Many theologians, if you go through, they go through the books, they'll talk about Matthew 8 and Matthew 9 as a series of miracles. These are the miracle stories. Now, there's other miracles all around, but 8 and 9 pretty much give you these little stories, and he's very selective in his stories of what Jesus does. Okay? And it's very intentional. It's very important. And I think we need to look at some, at these six. And there's five of them in chapter 8 and one in chapter 12 that we'll get to. But now I want you to think about this. When you are identifying Jesus as Messiah, you have to show why you think he's Messiah. Okay. Already, Matthew has told us already that he's preaching. He is an itinerant rabbi. He is finding followers. He is preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. Okay, if he was just doing that, he'd probably be like a lot of other rabbis that are develop a following and saying certain things about certain people. But he does more than that. He does more than that. And he does miracles to get your attention. Or Matthew's getting your attention. And so let's look at him. First one is Matthew 8, 1 through 3. Now, how many of you have got your Bible? Okay, and how many of you look at... Have you noticed that each of these pericopes have a... For most Bibles, have a little um, title above it? That, that, those little titles are not part of the Bible. I mean, they're, they're not divine. They're to help us, to help us find things. They are not inspired scripture. Okay? Just so you know that. Just so, no one, no one quotes the titles. They just quote Bible, because that's what this inspired word is. Okay. So Matthew 8, 1 through 3. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, if you were an original hearer of the story of Matthew's gospel, this would blow your mind. We just kind of go, oh, a guy with leprosy, kind of a bold leper, comes up and says, hey, you you can make me clean if you want to. 
And Jesus said, yeah, boom, there it is. That's my paraphrase. But to a first century Jew, what, Jesus touched him? According to the Jewish law, the Levitical law, people who had leprosy were to scream out, unclean, unclean, so that no one would inadvertently touch them. Because if you touch them, then you would be unclean and you could not go to the temple to either present your gifts, do a sacrifice, whatever, until the next day. That's why a priest or a Levite or a Pharisee or a Sadducee would never touch a leper. Never. You know the story of Jesus with a good Samaritan and he's, the guy falls among the thieves and he's kind of laying down on the ground and you notice that the the Levite and the priest, they walk around him because they don't want to touch him. They're not going to check on him or do anything because they could, he could be dead. And if you touch a dead person, then you're unclean. You can't go to the temple. Okay? So this man has been living a life where he has had to be ostracized by himself if you are a true Jew and obeying the law. Unclean! 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 Yet he sees from probably, he was probably on the mountainside when Jesus was doing And he's hearing this stuff and he is convinced that Jesus can heal him. And Jesus says, yeah, I can. And I did. One of the things, if you think about the idea of Jesus touching him and cleansing him. There's a story in Acts where Peter is on the roof. And he's in the middle of a vision. And we believe that Jesus talks to him at the time in this vision. He sees this food coming down, this clean and unclean animals. And if you have a red letter Bible, this is in the red letter. It says, kill and eat. And Peter goes, no, 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 no. I, I, don't, I don't eat anything that's unclean. And Jesus says to him, if God makes it clean, it's clean. My paraphrase again. Don't call something that God has cleansed unclean or common. Even more so than food. That man who was cleansed is no longer unclean. And what God has cleaned is probably never unclean again. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that neat to see? So we see Jesus' power by touch. He heals a man by touch. Okay. Let's look at the next one. Matthew 8, 5 through 13. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority. With soldiers under me, I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. 
I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. So now, Jesus is not even in the proximity of someone who needs healing. It's a servant in another town. And the centurion is asking for help. This is a Roman centurion asking for the help of a servant, probably Jewish. And so Jesus heals this servant from distance. Didn't need to touch him. And I think it's ironic that the centurion explains, don't come to my house because I have servants. I am under authority and I, I, have, I have authority and I tell people, go, go. And then Jesus said, go. Isn't that interesting? And the centurion went, right? Because Matthew is showing that the Messiah, Jesus, is more authority than the Romans. He tells him to go and he goes. Can you imagine someone in that time telling a Roman centurion or, hey, do this, do this. Do... They'd be like, what are you doing? We're occupying your place. You do what we tell you to do. We're the winners. Interesting. All right, so let's look at the third paracope. This is Matthew eight fourteen through 17. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken to the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. And this is Isaiah 53, 4. Now we have another paracope where Jesus knows this person. He didn't know the leper before. He did not know the centurion's servant. Never met him. But he knew Peter's mother-in-law. And he heals her. And then that evening, because of that, words break out. And it says he healed many with diseases, demon possession. So now it's not just one-on-one. Now it's multiplicity of people. Now the idea of Jesus' power, one, from touch, two, from distance, three, from the amount of work done. And it doesn't matter whether you knew him or you didn't know him. It's irrational, relational, and non-relational. Interesting. And then we go to Matthew eight twenty-three through 27. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? 
Even the winds and the waves obey him. Again, another amazing miracle. I love the fact that Jesus is sleeping in the boat. This is, I mean, I think if I was in a boat and it was being tossed by the wave and there was water coming in, I don't think I'd be sleeping. And I'm a pretty heavy sleeper. Aren't I? You can, yeah. Check and see if I'm alive most of the time. Yeah, I know I can't hear. Take my hearing out. I don't hear anything. All right. But Jesus is sleeping. In, in other parallels of Scripture, the, the disciples accused Jesus of, don't you care that we might drown? Don't you care? He's like, wait, I'm with you. What, we're all going to die? What, have you forgotten what all the stuff that has happened? But now we see Jesus' power isn't just in healing a person. Now it's in control of wind and waves. And the disciples are blown away. I mean, and rightly so. I mean, there's been a few wind storms here in town, and I would love to have been able to say, Cease, come! But I just get more wind blowing on me. But we're, we're seeing that Jesus is now outside of the realm of just healing people. Now he's saving people by controlling the water, the wind, the waves. Hmm. And then... They go to the other side of the lake. Matthew 8, 28-34. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, Go! So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank in the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into town, and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him, to leave that region. Okay, so now Matthew's identifying that they go across the lake, he runs up into now we, we we see that Jesus previously had had healed those that were had some demon possession, but we never have the demons speaking. But now the demons are speaking to Jesus. And they call him Son of God, which is super interesting. Okay? One of the things you need to know that when Matthew writes his stuff, it's all about the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It doesn't say the kingdom of God because it doesn't want God to be misused. A good Jew, you don't say God, you don't write God because you don't want the name to be misused. But in this, he, what he says what they say. What, what do you want with us, son of God? They know who he is. They know he's Messiah. 
And they're worried because they're in trouble. And the crazy thing is that, again, of, of authority, Jesus tells them, go. I mean, these are commands. This is the imperative. He is sending this. He tells the centurion, go. He tells these demons to go and leave. These demon, I mean, these demon, demon-possessed men who were obviously wreaking havoc in the area. Says they were so violent, you couldn't get that way. Hey, let's go over there. Oh, we got to go around because look at those guys, the demon guys, and they'll attack us or whatever. And so, what's the thanks they get from the people that are? Hey, could you leave? What? The, Matthew never explains why they ask him to leave. There are several different ideas. One is that they just lost their herd of pigs. They're mad at him. Or they recognize his power and they're scared that what happened to the demons could happen to themselves. Listen, we see this a couple places. When people realize who Jesus is, they freak out. Peter, he's in a boat. He's been fishing all night. Hasn't caught anything. Jesus says, hey, fishing on this side. And Peter goes, okay, well, just because rabbi, sure, all right. And he did it. And then there were so many fish that it was swamping. And Peter's response is, depart from me. Because I'm a terrible man. When being confronted with the Messiah, confronted with God himself. I think a lot of us would go, depart from me, because I'm, I'm, I'm an evil guy. I know what I've done. But yet, in just these pericopes alone, and he, Matthew does many more, but he's identifying the power of Jesus. And you can't just put it, well, it's because of his touch, or it's because of he knows this guy, or no, no. Matthew takes all of that away from you. And what he's trying to tell you is, don't put God in a box. We try to put God in a box. We do. Because we try to keep everything ordered and in control. Okay, now, if I do this, well, then Jesus will do this. Or, I, I, I don't do this, then Jesus will do this. No, 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 no. God can do whatever he wants. I mean, whatever he wants. Whenever he wants. And sometimes we tell God what he can do and what he can't do. How stinking presumptuous is that? I, I've said this before from the pulpit. There was a time I told God, you know what, God? Barbara and I staying married, nothing good could ever happen. And he's made me eat those words for the last 35 years. I mean, it's been amazing. Because I didn't think God had it in him to fix our doomed marriage. But he did. How many of us have said, God can't do that. He can't fix this. Or he can't do that. What? Matthew is telling you, no, he can. And because he's God... Sometimes he'll let you go. Sometimes he won't. And we need to be grateful for that. 
All right, let's go to ver- let's go to chapter 12 of Matthew. And let's do one more here. And I'm going to start in verse 7 of Matthew 12. This uh, let, let me set the stage here before that. This is where Jesus and his disciples are walking through a field. It is Sabbath day, and the disciples grab a few grains, start chewing on it, and the rabbis and the Pharisees go crazy. What? They're harvesting. They should not be doing it on Sabbath day. Blah, 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 blah. And Jesus says, you're a nutcase. Well, that's my paraphrase. <laughs> and so he says this, starting in verse 7. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, they're asking him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you take hold of it and lift it out? Question mark. How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. That is not how I thought it would go. I mean, I'm, okay, lots of times in our study of the Gospels, as we look into these, so many times the Pharisees, see, the Pharisees are trying to trip up Jesus. And they, in their own mind, think if you heal on the Sabbath, that's work, and you'd be breaking the Sabbath. Okay? That's their, that's their whole idea. And normally when they ask Jesus a question, like a good rabbi, he answers the question with a question. Because that's what rabbis do. And he, he answers a question here, actually. He, he asks a question about the sheep in a pit. And wouldn't, wouldn't you want to pick it up? Right? But then Jesus makes a statement to the affirmative. He, they ask him, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath to get him in trouble? And he says, it's good or it's right. It's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Not heal, but to do good on the Sabbath. And I love what he does. He, he doesn't touch him. He just tells the man to, Hold that, stretch out your hand. And it's healed. And of course, he hasn't touched him. He hasn't done anything other than talk to him. And the Pharisees know it was Jesus that did it. They, they know everyone. And because he did, instead of rejoicing and being excited that a guy who had a shriveled hand, who probably couldn't, was struggling with work, probably couldn't do anything, now he has two good hands, and they go, and we need to kill you, Jesus. Wait, what? They were so warped in their thinking that 
their idea of Messiah could not be someone they knew from in the area, Nazareth. We knew who your father was. And because you're not the Messiah that we think you are, we can kill you. And they completely missed it. And they completely missed it. They were blinded by so much hate and rage and obeying the law that they completely missed the Messiah. And that is why I added this thing when he, Jesus says, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. How many of you read that this week? Did you hear it twice? Because he says it twice in our reading this week. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He says it here on the way to the synagogue. But he also says it when Matthew throws the party to all his tax friends, all his tax collector friends and sinners. Because the Pharisees like, what is this guy doing eating with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus' response is, it's not the sick. I mean, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. And think of this saying, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What he's quoting is from the prophet Hosea. Hosea 6.6. Let me read the whole verse to you. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Remember I started this talking about Romans chapter 1? That those, you get debased mind and you go crazy on doing really weird stuff when you don't acknowledge God as God and give him thanks. That's how important thanksgiving is to the Christian. Yes, we have a national Thanksgiving Day. Hasn't always been this way, but it's been there for a long time. But it's been set aside. We need to be people of thanksgiving all the time. And even more so on Thursday. Acknowledging God for God and giving him thanks is more important than anything else. I mean, you make him the Lord of your life, absolutely. But when you, after you make him the Lord of your life, you need to be grateful. You need to be thankful. And that's... Don't, don't get caught up in the... Sorry, Jeremy. Football. Don't get caught in all the eating. Make sure that you are thankful that you take specific time to pray to the Lord of heaven and earth and thank him for what you've got. Or what you don't got. Or his involvement in your life. And remember, we cannot put God in a box. Maybe your life stinks right now. And you can't think of a few things to to be thankful for. You know what? God can use even the things that are horrible in our lives. To help us. To shape us. To change us. To be the people of God that we need to be. We do. 
Do you think the man with the shriveled hand liked having a shriveled hand? Probably not. But you know what? He met Jesus through walking into a synagogue, meeting Jesus, and his hand was healed. Do you think that he would care about other people that had some deformities or something, even though he was not deformed anymore? Absolutely. He would be much more attuned to helping or caring for or empathizing. Sometimes the stuff we go through, it's not about us. It's about us helping others. You know what I'm saying? Let's be grateful. And thank you for listening to me rant about paracoops. Won't you stand? Just like Jessica said from the sign, we're going to start thanking God right now. I'm not going to wait for the holiday rush for Thursday. We're going to start praying now. I'd like you at this time to gather around in groups of four or five or six or seven, whatever, and thank God specifically for things in your life. All right? So we're going to have a small little prayer meeting, and then we're going to leave. Well, I mean, or venture. But just take five minutes to do that. And then, so start gathering around one another. And in a few minutes, I will close this in prayer. Father God, we are so grateful for what you do for us. Thank you, Lord, for our wealth. Thank you, Lord, for our our health. Thank you, Lord, for the challenges in our life. Thank you, Lord, for our relationships. Lord God, I thank you for my children. Thank you for my parents. Thank you for this church, this community, this body of believers who truly love mercy rather than sacrifice. Father God, I am so grateful for all that you do. Help us, Lord, to continue to be grateful. Help us to be people of gratitude in all areas of our life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.